Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the Sacred Body Podcast. I wanted to take a moment to direct your attention to a few online classes that I've created and made available for you. The first being Sacred Ground, Physical and Grief Healing for Pregnancy Loss and Abortion. This five-part course is available to anyone who is either experiencing the postpartum experience unique to miscarriage and or abortion. And this program is really designed to give you not only tools for tending to this often invisible experience of the postpartum, but the unique nature of coming back into your body with reverence and trust. The other course is called Sex and Motherhood, and this course is a recording of a live course that I led and is an opportunity for mothers to more than reclaim their sense of sexual vitality, but to come to a point of understanding, honoring, trusting, and expressing their newfound experience of sexuality and vitality. Motherhood is a massive transformation, and for us to expect that we would ever be the same afterwards is unrealistic and oftentimes painful. It is my hope that these two courses offer you some solace, offer you some encouragement, and offer you a real sense of the fact that you are intact, you are whole, and you are sacred. See the link in the show notes. So welcome to the Sacred Body Podcast. Today I'm with Kate Pope, who I actually don't know that well, but I know I have spent a lot of time uh, in the same spaces with Kate through a Women's Business Mastermind and a follow-up course to that. And I've just been watching, watching what she has going on and find her to be super fascinating. And I'm excited for this round of the podcast where mothering is centered as a key component of our business and our work in the world. Um, Kate shared in one of these spaces that she's on her conception journey. And so I thought this would be a really important, important conversation to include in uh, the mothering and work and creativity conversation. And Kate, I know that your business is called Regenerative Cooking School. And I know that you work with the GAPS philosophy, which I can't remember what those letters stand for. So you're going to explain that to us. But I'm just super thrilled to have you here, especially reading a bit more of your bio, um, your dance background, and all the ways that you've found your way um, back to nature and right relationship with the earth. I think that's something that many listeners are striving for. And so I'm really thrilled to have you here. Grateful for your time. And please introduce yourself to us. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I'm so glad that you brought up the mothering component because I too felt really honored and excited because I'm entering a really exciting space. And it's great to be you know, with your wisdom and listening to the few episodes before we began, there's so much rich content here. And so to add what I know about um, my own experience with preparing my body for pregnancy is just a real treat and to answer your questions. And I'm very, 
um, happy to speak about gaps all the time. And I do. And it's like chatter, 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 chatter. So anytime I get a chance to really have the platform for it, I love it. So I grew up in Richmond, Virginia, and I lived there until I was 18 years old. And then I moved to Gainesville, Florida, where I got a BFA in dance and I got a certificate of dance and medicine and a certificate of arts and medicine. And those were really profound experiences for me because when I went to school for dance, I knew that I was going because dance healed me and dance gave me a voice that was really, really important in a, some times of trauma during high school. And so when I got to school, I didn't really, it didn't sink in how deeply like being in the healthcare system, working with a research-based hospital and dance was going to uh, impact my career trajectory, but it really, really did. So I ended up working with children in juvenile justice. I did my thesis in the detention center and it was really special. I'd ride my bike every day after or Monday, Wednesday, Friday from campus to the detention center, which was oddly close. And <laughs> I would teach dance for an hour and a half and I would, we would do journaling and drawing as well. I was working a lot in like the Anna Halperin expressive arts therapy yes. modality at the time. And then I would take that work and I went back with my peers and I created a piece there based on the work that they were going, they were sharing with me and teaching me. And the, the work was called mom, please help me. And it was a very, just, it was a very profound experience. And I think that's part of the reason why I'm still so interested in working in teens and transition periods in general. So I'm very interested in this place of, you know, going to be a mother. I'm interested of a child to an adult. You know, I'm just, I really love the portal of change. And I think mm -hmm. that dance set me up for that really, really well. And my own journey of striving and really wanting to be successful in this field burned me out to exhaustion. And so I had to look at other modalities for healing and that brought me to food. And Gainesville in general renatured me. So I grew up in the suburbs, which were nice. I call it like a fast food town, but it didn't really inspire me. It wasn't until I got to Gainesville and I was like, you know, it's a, it's in North Central Florida and it's in the middle of the Ocala National Forest. So very picturesque, sort of like Savannah with Spanish moss and huge trees. So I really found myself there and I got connected to local food. And then again, I had this dance career. And so it was, it was a really exciting time that had the strongest influence on my adult life. And then I moved to Seattle where I, by some <laughs> strange event, became a private chef. And I worked for a person who was very wealthy and we flew on private jets and I cooked for him and for five years. And then now I'm here, um, out of that as a nutritional therapist. So I went to the NTA, which is Nutritional Therapy Association, and then I became a GAPS practitioner. And so I work with the GAPS protocol now to help people heal through food and movement, expressive arts that comes into my practice as well. So what does that acronym GAPS stand for? So GAPS stands for Gut and Psychology Syndrome or Gut and Physiology Syndrome. It was created by Dr. Natasha Campbell McBride, and she was a neurosurgeon and a nutritionist in Russia. 
and her son developed symptoms of autism. And she quickly discovered that no one in her field could really help her. And so she started to dig a bit deeper and was looking at Elaine Gottschild's work, who developed the specific carbohydrate diet. That's very common among children with autism. And the whole point of the specific carbohydrates is that there are certain carbs that do not feed pathogenic bacteria. And the idea is that those pathogens, that overgrowth of microbes in the gut are creating a river of toxins, which is flowing to the brain. And that toxic river is creating the symptoms of autism. And so when you can, when you can use diet as one of the ways to work with this subset of symptoms, you can reduce them because you are eliminating, you're dying off, killing the pathogens, which are feeding on sugars. And those sugars come from specific carbohydrates. So Dr. Natasha took her work and developed it further. And the protocol spread all around the world. I think the book is translated into like 19 different languages, mostly by mothers of children with autism because it's working. <laughs> and that's such relief to them, especially when it's caught early enough. And it's a very complex um, diagnosis because lot for lots of reasons, but oftentimes there's more than just diet to work with. And a lot, you know, there's a lot of controversy even around like, can you heal autism? Because it's a way of being in a sense. And, you know, we want children to have the best sense of their typical development. They, you want them to feel the most secure and safe and healthy. And at the same time, you don't want to alienate someone because they're different. And so I think it's sort of walking that line of like, um, we want to make you feel the best that you can and not also say that autism is something to set, you know, cast aside as bad, really. Right. Like there's something wrong with you and we're going to fix it. Right. And yeah. a lot of people would say like, you can't ever fix it. Um, my actually, my fiance worked in the field of autism for 10 years. And so we had a lot of debates because there's just, it's a really growing um, diagnosis. Like the increased rates of autism are really, really growing in the past 20 years. And so there's just more opinions, more therapies and these parents they really struggle. I mean, for some parents, it's so, so, so it's massively difficult. And so to promise a cure is often looked down upon in the field. But what I say with gaps is that if you put in the work, you're going to see results no matter what, even if all the symptoms aren't gone, don't completely disappear, you're going to have an, a sense of ease, just like you would if you put anyone on a nutrient dense protocol, yeah. but especially someone who is having these symptoms that are going straight to their brain and really affecting them. And that's the great thing about GAPS too. It started because Dr. Natasha was helping her son. And now she saw, you know, thousands of patients and has trained thousands of practitioners to help all different types of people with chronic disease. And the reason why it works is because the root cause, just like Hippocrates said, is the gut. All disease begins in the gut. This is the center of the health universe. You can chat about this all day. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> That's so brilliant. And I'm, I'm so curious when, you know, this other trajectory of your career started to wear on you, like, was it very natural for you to turn to food? Like, what was that transition for you like? 
It was hard actually, because I was personally interested in it. So even in college, I had a show, a live performance, which was called Kate Creates. And Kate Creates would come on the stage and she would do a project essentially like bake bread or make pickles and talk about life. And so even then I was doing these things with food. (laughs) I want to watch this show. It sounds awesome. Yeah. I wish there was really good footage. That was one of the things we didn't do as well as we should have was document. It was kind of like a weird time. Really. I didn't even have an iPhone back then. Um, But anyway, yeah, Kate creates definitely needs to have a comeback and she's kind of there and wild nutritionist and, Um, but so I was entertaining. I love to entertain. I love community. And that's what dance really represented for, for me. It was like gathering people and talking about social change and how can we make the world a better place? And then my own health journey, which was like, you know, I had struggled with anxiety and depression, depression in my family, addictive behavior in my family, um, and adrenal fatigue, allergies, all of that stuff pointed me to food. I found a great acupuncturist who introduced me to the Weston A. Price Foundation and introduced me really to nutrition. And then I was like, oh, wow, this is really cool. I'm very passionate about it. And again, I'm a messenger and I wanted to tell people about this. I thought, you know, I had another thing to galvanize the people <laughs> around. And so the main switch. When I moved to Seattle, I tried all the grass-fed beef and I um, picked one farm to ask if I could have a job to trade for meat because I was still doing like freelance dancing and nannying and all sorts of things. And she said yes. So I started getting $50 worth of meat and eggs every week from this farm. And for trade, I would set up her tents for the farmer's market at the morning and the afternoon. And so then I started having this excess of food and I would, you know, start doing more dinner parties and really using them as a chance to kind of teach people about regenerative agriculture and look at this farm. And we, have you been to the farmer's market? Like, this is amazing, that kind of thing. And then I really, with the children that I was nannying, their poops were very strange. They were like gray and green. And I was like, this is, something's up here. And I wanted to, I called my mom and I said, I'm going to be a food consultant. And that was sort of, I'm going to teach families how to cook for their children and how to help lineages heal. Like this is so, you know, I'm from a family of farmers and yet that knowledge is completely lost on all of us grandchildren. And I'm like, this is a travesty. How can this happen? And I need to help other families get back to their food roots. So The weird part was that I then got this call to be a private chef and that was a connection. And so that was where things sort of, it didn't make sense to me at all the times because I was like, I'm still not exactly doing what I wanna do, but it did give me mad cooking skills. So I was just able to develop myself as a chef, which really I hadn't had the opportunity to do do that yet. And so that, that was hard to like give up dance And to not exactly be doing what I wanted to do, which was help people heal. I was more of doing, again, I called it like the longest performance art piece of my life (laughs) because it was just this ongoing thing of like jets. And I mean, it was cool, but there were things about it that didn't match. It sounds super fascinating. And I love that, you know, your arts background seems to have lent, um, some very necessary curiosity uh, for that, you know, just deviation or, or whatever kind of spiral in your path that certainly led you to where you are. So 
being able to look at all, all of the waves in our path as having a necessary um, place in the momentum where we end up. And even that feeling of like, this isn't it, I think is super valuable. I'm curious too, I'd love to hear more because I was thinking about this as I was reading through your bio and looking through your website, which only made me like want to hang out with you and <laughs> talk to you more. It's like, oh, I got to get Kate and Alex to Tucson and have a dinner party for us. And how can I hang out with them more? Um, you're, it's going to happen. Yay. <laughs> After your wedding, of course. Great. Um, so my question is, you, you know, you acknowledged you grew up in Richmond, Virginia, and now you're living in Seattle and you've lived on the big Island and food is very different in all those places. And through food, I think, you know, just through the act of being deliberate with our food. And I've found a lot of healing for myself, just the act of eating consciously mm -hmm. is massive healing for my maternal lineage. Just the, this, not so simple act of like sitting down and ingesting enough food, good food, high quality food, rather than a box of crackers and some hummus, like that's extremely healing. But I'm also very curious about your thoughts and or learnings about this ancestral piece and like where we come from, right? Like in the I'm including a lot, so just pick whatever feels most relevant. But in the postpartum time, I'm a student of Ayurveda. There are a lot of teachings about you know, food protocols in the early postpartum time, and it's pretty much all vegetarian. And after a week of that, I felt like I was gonna go absolutely effing crazy. Yeah. My people eat meat. And like, as soon as I had my mom's beef and barley stew, my skin was a different color. My mind was clearer. I was a different person. So can you talk to me about that like fine line between eating what our ancestors ate and the healing that can come through just tending to the land we're on, we happen to be on now? Yeah. And I liked what you said too about that sit down meal thing, because that is a huge piece. Like sometimes if our life gets really busy and we've had a few meals where we're like standing up or they're not complete, like it'll be like, you know, a, a big get by piece of meat for us is bacon. <laughs> like we'll be like, okay, bacon, you know, for dinner. And then it's just bacon. And I definitely, I think Alex and I, that's my fiance. We, we both say, okay, full stop. We're sitting down. We need to sit at the table. Um, and just allowing that space for the meal to happen is so powerful because you end up putting more food on your plate. You're giving your body a chance to rest and we need to be in that state in order to digest our food. So I love that little piece. And I think if people are to make small changes, start by sitting down for your meals because every one of them. Yeah, exactly. It creates a space for you to have reverence for the food, enjoy your food, and really it inspires you to be more creative because you want to um, eat well. Like I, I think that's why I really, another reason why I became a cook is because I love to taste things. <laughs> so I love flavors and I'm like, yeah, I want it to be exciting. Um, 
the piece about, you know, ethics of food and sustainability or regenerate regenerative farming, you know, I am a huge proponent of meat. This has been, I don't really know why exactly other than it just fits really good. My, my grandparents were pig farmers and they, they grew all sorts of things. My great grandmother had her own garden. She fermented foods, you know, they had raw milk and it was really actually a pretty short time ago that we had such access to this type of food. And there's like a whole history of the modern diet that we could go through. But if we think about us from hunter gatherers to the onset of agriculture, to moving to more urban areas, every time we have these huge human shifts, it's like food gets less and less of a big piece of our life. It becomes more of an afterthought as, as humans have faster lives, we move closer together, and we have more technology, basically, even though we had some pretty advanced technology in terms of fire, you know, and cooking our own food and the systems that we had in place to take care of families. That is very different than how we think about food today. And industry has driven that. If you think about fast food and what happened in the 50s and 60s with women, you know, being encouraged to use the microwave and these kinds of things. And so it kind of collides with the feminist movement in a really interesting way because it's almost anti-feminist to cook. You know, that's sort of <laughs> yeah. what they were pushing in those times. And of course, now it's like, you know, I would be feminist and um, I love to cook and I love to home, be at home. And, and I think there's a place for that now in whatever wave of feminism we're in these days. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But, um, so in terms of ancestral eating, I think that most people ate meat as their with their, you know, from their ancestry, there is everywhere now we have to orient towards regenerative agriculture. And really, this isn't even something that I know that much about, but the people that I've learned from, this is what they are teaching. And so I teach it too. Essentially, you want to buy food from as much as you can from a farm that's mimicking an ecosystem. So you mm -hmm. want all types of living beings to be involved. You want the microbes in the soil, you want the animals who are fer fertilizing the soil through their waste. You want the vegetables growing in that fertilized soil and you want the humans there with their hands harvesting it and distributing it. But it's sort of like I have regenerative farmer friends and they're like the reality of this model still is very, very difficult. Like these farmers work their ass off. And that's why when someone says to me about pricing, you know, it's like the farmers aren't the millionaires here. You know, the farmers are not the ones who are driving mm. the price up. The price of food is the price of food and big food, big ag has driven the price way down to an ungodly, I mean, like 29 cents for a chicken or something like a pound, you know, ridiculous, yeah. crazy. But then again, that brings us to the question of food access. And so how like someone needs to buy that chicken. And if there was a family who wanted to um, make a shift in their health and they were asking me what's the bare minimum thing I could do I would never tell them to cut out meat even if they're eating factory meat because that's sort of where we are and it's still a question in my mind as to how to move forward but the thing is at least those animals have detoxification systems plants do not mm. and, and you know pesticide laden processed food fake food is not ever going to be 
as good as that chicken, no matter how that chicken's raised. And like, that's really a whole can of worms. I mean, there's so much complexity to this issue. And so I just tell people to do the best they can and start, start small. And hopefully as a lot, you know, as more individuals come to this movement, the movement will gain momentum and it will be easier for everyone involved. That's sort of the ideal, but is it like, you know, too idealistic? I don't think so. And that's mostly because, you know, I have like someone like Dr. Natasha, who is a regenerative farmer walking the talk and very, very adamant that, you know, if we transform the past, the, the little bit of monoculture into pasture, we will have so much more access to high quality food. Yeah. I mean, I think there have been massive, massive, massive positive impacts. I know this is a strange thing to say, but I'm fairly confident that everyone listening will understand what I'm saying. Massive positive impacts that came from the pandemic in terms of slowing things down and even, you know, like the food panics, obviously there were a lot of casualties and I'm not just speaking about lost life, but people not being able to buy meat and, you know, some people hoarding and there were horrible things that happened, but so many of us had kind of a new perspective shaken into us about what is sustainable moving forward and what we must do. And even the slowing down of traffic and like, you know, things not cruise ships, not being able to sail and pollute our oceans because they're like the number one polluters. Just thinking about all these things, including the slowing down and looking at how we consume what we consume and what is actually more sustainable moving forward. And I think that there's in a very essential way, this conversation braids effortlessly with the mothering conversation with the reproductive conversation. Like what are we creating, not only in our communities through ideas and ritual and practices, but through our physical bodies? What are we leaving behind? What are we making possible? What are we allowing to be known in our, our DNA? a little bit of a soapbox there. I'm just very moved by what you're sharing too. <laughs> Thank you. I was also hoping cruise ships were going to go down completely. I was like, they're not going to come back. There's no way people are going to want to get on there with all those germs, but they're back, man. They are in the port in Seattle. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I find it funny. I just want to comment. Um, I find it funny that, uh, one of the things you didn't want to do was talk politics. <laughs> and here we are. I mean, there are specific things, specific territory we're not going into, but this is such a, to me, this is like the essence of politics, right? Like what are we all actually doing day in, day out? There's nothing more political than our food. Exactly. And yeah, a lot of the conversation skirts on the edge. And I think it's really easy to be there and because that's where it belongs. It's such yeah. an essential human need. And, um, you know, I, I've often told people, if you're looking at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, 
food is right there with housing and why are we not, um, why is there just not more, even on the individual level, what is it about food that is not prioritized within families really? Like, you know, my family growing up, economizing on food was like, absolutely, we're going to do that. You know, we're absolutely going to try to spend as little money on, as possible on food so that we can do other things. And was that just a matter of having a family of four and, you know, my parents doing the best they can on two salaries and trying to get by, or did they just not even know that there was something more that they could do yeah. in terms of raising children with appropriate nutrients? And well, culture is powerful. Yeah. Culture is powerful. And what we're constantly force fed, no pen intended about like what is normal and what is the best way forward. Like it's a lot of group think. And as soon as it's like with birth, as soon as birth was taken out of the hands of families and essentially like hidden away behind the walls of a hospital, people don't, don't even know what is an essential biological physiological process they're terrified of what their body actually naturally does same thing with menstruation I mean you talked about I loved it you talked about like these kids that you're caring for obviously you're seeing their poop but even just that like the acknowledgement of like what your shit looks like in the morning a hundred percent matters and gives you so much information so like not being in the dirt of our body, you know, dirt even being a bad thing, not getting our hands dirty in the earth, not touching our food. I don't want to know how the animal got on my plate. I just want to eat it. Like it's a problem. It's a problem. Yeah. And that really brings us great as a great segue to gaps because we say we must tend to the soil inside of us oh, and soil. Beautiful. Yeah. The soil is your microbiome and the, the term microbiome, it's getting, it's getting more mainstream. A lot more people are starting to understand what that is. Leaky gut has become a more popular phrase that people are like, oh yeah, leaky gut. Like I'm familiar with that. I think I have it, <laughs> you know? And so that's good. When things come into the mainstream, that's a good thing because they're gaining momentum. But at the same time, it's an opportunity for big pharma to jump in and say, oh, I have a cure for that. And that's right. never going to work chronic disease is only healed through food because food is what caused the disease. I would say food and the food industry, meaning like the pollutants that are along with it. Um, and then of course there are emotional components I think that contribute to disease. But until we address this very foundational piece, you know, you're just not gonna be able to see the progress that you want. And you're not gonna be able to feel like yourself again, which is what I hear so many people saying, I just wanna feel like myself again. So how do we do that? And on GAPS, the philosophy is that the gut is the center of the health universe, and you first address the health of your digestive system. When you heal and seal your gut, you can heal your immune system, turn back on detoxification, and you can support your hormonal system, endocrine, everything evolves from the health of your gut because, you know, we 
digest food there. So we need to get the nutrients in order to have those organs turned on. And we also use our microbiome to eat toxins. Those plant, those microbes inside of us are eating toxic waste and helping us eliminate it. And so we really need that to be in balance and high functioning in order to have optimal health. And there, there are two things I wanna make sure we touch on. One being, um, I'd love to talk to you about gaps and what I understand about nutrition from the Ayurvedic perspective, about like very different constitutional types and how that is addressed through gaps and also um, moving eventually in towards probably the end of our conversation about conception and planning for pregnancy um, using dietary protocol. It's like, that's what, that's literally what your baby is made of. And your capacity to digest, the level of health in your digestion shapes in such a profound and direct way, the health of your placenta, the capacity for your baby to get nutrition from you, and also your ability to retain the nutrition that you need to mother. So those are the two things I'd really love to make sure we talk about. Um, and I'm only saying that because my brain is a little bit like Swiss cheese right now. <laughs> the, the Ayurvedic constitutional types, like meat is something that's used sparingly. And I imagine that has a lot to do with the relationship to cows in India, which is the birthplace of Ayurveda. Like it's a different culture mm -hmm. and there is a relationship between meat and inflammation. So my experience is like, my body tells me when it's had enough. So I'm, you know, I eat meat almost every day, but not every day. And it changes seasonally, even like the season of my life, pregnancy, postpartum, I need meat every day. Um, so just curious if there's, if there's something like a constitutional determinant within gaps or, or what the protocol has to say about um, the relationship between meat and inflammation. Yeah, so we, um, everything with gaps is from the framework of bioindividuality. Bio so we do have certain exceptions for people as they feel it from themselves, like with their body. But in general, the GAPS protocol focuses on healing and sealing the gut, which we do with gelatin and collagen that comes from meat stock. And yeah. meat stock is like one of the pillars of the GAPS protocol. So you make that from a meaty bone. It's different than bone broth because it has a quicker cook time. So it's cooked shorter and it only uses um, bones which have meat attached. So joints, cool. feet, neck, um, spine, those kinds of pieces. Those are- I get, I'm getting like a little squirm in my body, but also like this, this is important. But right. like, I don't know if I could handle the feet, but this is important. <laughs> oh we are so good. The feet. I know. I have to learn from you. I really have Definitely. to learn from you. So I really gross my fiance out because what I like to do is take the feet. I make feet 
meat stock from the feet, like a pound or two of feet. And then I pick the nails off of the feet and then I grind it in my blender and then I strain it. So I'm basically eating all of the soft tissue, which to me tastes like so delicious. Like I want it so bad. And he like gags. He totally is like, I can't, I can't believe you eat that feet. Like that's so gross. And he, you know, he's like, you know, I sometimes try to sneak it. He's like, I know there's feet in here and you ground them up. And <laughs> I know he, he, but I love it. And, and so I know that I need it because me being so kind of turned on by that is like a definite sign. And one thing just sort of yeah. funny about me is I've always been fascinated by raw meat. Like I've all, I, you know, I remember like mouth agape looking at people cut meat and always liking it on the food channel and just really think like being attracted to that raw flesh um, not sure why yeah. exactly, but I think it, it just sort of speaks to my tendency towards getting my hands in the food and really like using that to nourish myself deeply. You know, I'm gesturing, putting the food towards my mouth. Um, and we always eat with our hands. We sometimes start with the fork and then we just end up eating with our hands because it's so feels so right. So meat, uh, meat is very, very key on the gaps. We would, I would say that the connection between inflammation and meat actually has less to do with the meat itself and more to do with what the meat is eaten with. So a lot of those studies that are connecting meat and inflammation are, you know, well, food studies are really, really difficult in general because, you know, it's very hard to have a control because people eat like cupcakes and they eat like, you know, a lot of the studies that were done in the eighties and nineties with red meat is like hamburgers and low quality meat and all of this type of thing. So it's really hard to look at those statistics and um, make that sort of jump for, um, you know, against meat, but the whole industry also has sort of built this big thing against fat and red meat is right in there too. I would say that red meat is the biggest healer and it is very, very healthful for all people. Um, now, some people might not be able to digest it as, as well as um, others, and that's because maybe they have some sort of specific individual symptom that's keeping them from digesting it, which can absolutely be corrected. And that's where I would guide people to. I would guide people to slowly building up to red meat. Some people are going to start it and feel like amazing right away and be like, how was I missing this forever? And some people will say like, oh, it sits in my stomach. And that yeah. just is an indication to me like, okay, you need a little bit more stomach acid. So we figure out ways to get that to you. And then you can digest the meat. Also, it has a lot of fat typically like in making meat stock from beef it it's more fatty and so sometimes if your gallbladder or your liver is stagnant then you're going to have trouble digesting that a little bit um we use meat to reduce inflammation on the gaps protocol so yeah, that was my sense and I was like this is fascinating <laughs> yeah and you know Ayurveda is born out of like the yogic perspective right and so there's more I don't know that much about Ayurveda but my idea is that, you know, these people were trying to ascend the sort of like, almost like monks, you know, they're trying to be in touch more with the divine. And so they're using that to float out of their bodies in a way. And that's just the opposite of what we use meat for. And the reason why is because the um, bioavailable nutrients that come from meat are very similar to the ones that are in our own human body. And then if we look at it physiology too, with digestion, the top of our digestive cascade is our stomach. 
and we have stomach acid. Stomach acid is there to break down meat. It's, it's there to break down proteins. And the, the amino acids are very, very important building blocks for hormones, neurotransmitters. They do yeah. lots of jobs in the body. And so that, from that standpoint, if you look at our omni omnivorous structure, you see, oh, that stomach acid is for breaking down meat. Whereas um, cows, they have a completely different digestive system. They actually have two stomachs, they're called rumens, and they have a fermentation process where they chew the grass up to 300 times before they swallow it and they directly turn that grass into a saturated fat, I think for humans to eat. Um, and of course, that's the most ethical way to eat a cow is to eat a grass-fed grass-finished cow that has every great day except the last and then they're humanely killed they go through this little um kind of like a spiraling path where they get one bullet in the head and it's an instantaneous death and and then they have the whole process of of getting the meat prepared for the human it's so fascinating talking to you because uh, you know, we have a, a shared teacher and friend, Kimberly Johnson, might only be naming her right now because I've named her in every episode of my podcast, <laughs> so it feels like now it's just good luck. <laughs> I just have to say Kimberly Johnson. Um, but, you know, arguably what, what anchored her place in the cultural dialogue is like, taking the morality out of sex and this conversation about food I think has been moralized overly moralized like I can't kill this animal and it's like well we're here together like <laughs> you and I I think this was actually like the first thing that brought us together talking about the possibility of doing a podcast together was like That's the true. ethics of, of meat yeah. and the necessity almost of eating meat for the sustainability of our planet. So it's not only like where our meat is coming from, how the meat is being um, processed, but then also how it's being cooked. Even just so for everybody listening, if you sign up for Kate's newsletter, the confirm page, you get this rad recipe for cooking salmon. And I was like, I've never fucking heard of cooking salmon this way. Mm -hmm. Who cooks salmon for an hour to an hour and a half? I've been told like 12 minutes max, but then this, this information education about, well, when you cook it fast over high heat, the fat rancidifies who wants to be eating rancid fat. Like you're a genius. And I'm so grateful that you're putting this information out there and that we can have the, not an amoral conversation. I think it's the opposite of that, but like, talking about the reality of living in right relationship with the earth. We're all here together. We are going to become fertilizer as well. Like mm. here together in this ongoing life cycle. And um, I'm super excited to learn from you. I think I have a lot to learn from you and particularly because of my fascination regarding, you know, lineage healing and how we do that through our body our actual body and we could do a whole other podcast talking about nutrition and physical generation by western degeneration by western price 
like how we care for our bodies is a huge part of mothering our children. Absolutely. And so not to kind of strong arm our conversation, but I would like to spend the rest of our time on that subject of, you know, your personal understanding of and journey with preparing your body for pregnancy and what you, what you know in your bones to be true about this process. Awesome. Yeah. So I'm pretty much focusing on two. Well, I guess I'm focusing holistically on all elements of my being. Um, And when it comes to the physical parts of my health, I'm really focusing on building. So giving my body a ton of nutrients and the nutrients are mostly coming from animal foods. So that means egg yolks, organ meats, meat close to the bone, bone marrow, feet, Yeah, all those things, which I love. And then I also eat a ton of fermented foods because I'm really working on building my microbiome. So the microbiome is responsible for assimilating nutrients in your body. It's sort of hard to picture, I think, but really it's like a garden inside of yourself. And so you want to tend to this garden. It's soil, it's plants, it's microbes, viruses, pyrons, all of these things, we want them to be working for the human body, not against it. And when we have processed foods, when we have alcohol, or we've had a period of time on the pill, you know, grown, grew up next to industrial agriculture, that takes a toll on the body. The microbiome degrades and the pathogens have a chance to overgrow and they start to really rule the roost. And we want the kingdom to be grown by beneficial flora because the beneficial flora provides the benefit to us. So one of the ways that I'm doing that in this pre-pregnancy period is I'm not feeding them. So I'm not giving them any starch or sugar and I'm influencing the environment by adding in homemade fermented foods, which are so much easier than everyone thinks. Even when I started, I was like a, one of those bridges that I had to walk over. But once I did, I'm like, oh, so glad I'm here because it's way more affordable. It's very easy. It takes 60 seconds to ferment a food, 60 seconds to do it. And then four days, seven days, 10 days to wait for it to be done. So I'm using the building foods, which are animal foods. I'm using plant foods, which are cleansing foods. And I'm using fermented foods, which are helping to rebalance the ecosystem of my body, grow my garden so that as I'm eating these nutrient dense foods, my body can use them. And then on top of that, I'm supporting detoxification. So the way that I support detoxification and and immediately when you start giving your body all of these nutrient dense building foods, your body says, oh, thank God, I can can get some of this other stuff that's been on backlog out. Because if you don't have the building blocks, if you don't have the physical literal nutrients, your body's just gonna say, okay, we'll just hold this because otherwise you're gonna have a complete breakdown. And that's not really my MO right now. My MO is keep you standing. So we have this thing called homeostasis in the body and homeostasis is always regulating what jobs need to be done. And when we go on an investigative or a healing journey, you really start to influence those systems by giving them the tools that they need to do their jobs. And so that means that the toxins start to pour out of your body. And so I do things such as I take a bath every day and I rotate through different 
things that I put in my bath. So sometimes it's apple cider vinegar. Sometimes I run the bath through oats. I use baking soda, Epsom salts, magnesium, seaweed. I rotate through all these different things to help any toxins that my body's pushing out towards my skin be pulled out into the water. I also do enemas, usually about twice a week or every other day. And I use the enema as a way to help my bowels be cleaned and help my liver to, to remove toxins as well. The caffeine stimulates the liver and you release through that. I spend a lot so of- So you're doing coffee enemas? First, I do three cleansing enemas, which are just water and sea salt. And then I do a coffee enema. And if I don't have time to do the coffee enema, I'll just do the three cleansing enemas. So that's a really important and helpful piece of the GAPS protocol because it just keeps everything moving. Um, but again, like not all the time, I, I don't want to do enemas every day. And I just trust that because, you know, an enema night might not be called for the body could be doing something else. And maybe it doesn't want to move all that shit out of your bowels. So I just listen to myself and I love enemas. Like it's hilarious how much I like them. I think it gives me, cause I'm a real go, go, go person. And so when I'm just like have to lay down and do this thing, it's like, okay, well I'm doing enemas now. And it feels good. It feels like I'm laying a foundation for my family um, because I'm taking time for myself. And I know that that's going to get even more difficult. And, you know, like you said, Kimberly um, is a great mentor and friend. And, and she has opened me up to this entire community of mothers, which has been so awesome because I really wanted to work with mothers and I want to be a mother so badly. <laughs> and, um, you know, so it's just great to have all of these women and sort of suddenly be in the birth world, at least in the online community and hearing all these really great movements back to birth, mothering, centering the mother, raising children in right relationship to the earth, all of that. Yeah. I don't know what my point was about saying that, but yeah. Well, it's, <laughs> it's sort of like the magnetic pull of all these conversations, right? Like it, I think if you want to be a mother in particular, right? There's, I was sharing with my husband last night, it's actually taken two babies to like pull me fully into what I feel is the embodiment of mother, where it's not just about me anymore. And like, what a gift that you have this time that you are taking to really focus on yourself, this deep nourishment of your body, giving yourself all this time because you won't have it again, period. Like that is the transition to motherhood. You are never alone again. Even if you are physically isolated in a room, like your body, your biology, your mind, your heart, you are never alone again is my experience, I should say. Um, I don't mean to tell you what <laughs> your reality will be, but like, goodness gracious, what might change if, if we all had this information in our hands, if preconception were a cultural norm, like to, to know when things are really strained and difficult that like you have the reserves, you have what it takes to keep going. And also what you need to keep going, which I think is a critical part of these um, like deep, intensive re-nourishment 
protocols like you're describing. And it's very similar actually in essence to the way Ayurveda prescribes cleanses. They're all food-based. Of course there's fasting, but Ayurveda actually preceded yoga and there's a lot of um, just foundational focus on restoration and nourishment versus cleansing and like the modern approach to cleansing of like juice, eat as little as possible. What you said, it's like your body's going to hold on to everything, even the shit when it's not given what it needs to function. And that's why I imagine there's these horrible like detox effects. Like everyone just feels miserable on a cleanse like that. Exactly. Cause they're, they're going too hard and too fast. And we do, I mean, detoxification is a huge part of gaps and, and juicing is even a part of the protocol as well. And like, I'm so gung ho about meat and I've talked about it a lot, but I totally like, I love squash. I will eat the heck out of squash, carrots, beets, broccoli, salads. I mean, all of that stuff is a part of my diet too. It's just not as fun, I guess, to talk about. Um, and it's, love it's it. like, it's easy for people to think salad equals healthy. It's less easy for people to think a steak equals healthy or, um, you know, and even steak is not necessarily what we're really emphasizing on gaps. We're emphasizing meat that's close to the bone because that is what has the building blocks and the easiest on our digestion to rebuild this very delicate gut lining, which is so important. So, um, yeah, I think that there's another component too, which preparing for motherhood is sort of like very exciting. And I think will come maybe after my wedding will come a little bit more, but just really there's some things I could do like spiritually with this mm -hmm. child who I'm bringing in that, and emotionally, like I'm really working emotionally. I'm really working with my fiance and trying to not yell at him and lose my shit. And, you know, I'm working with my own self-observation um, so that I can be the best mother that I can. And I think that's really an important piece too. And I so desperately want to share all of this holistic perspective with people because it's very transformative and there's so much pain in miscarriage and there's so much pain and in infertility and if people are willing to spend gobs of money to have uh, in vitro fertilization, then maybe we could go a few steps before and not have to get to that point and you know, deeply hold the mother and the father because it's not just the mom who has to prepare the body. You know, yeah. father yeah. also has to change how he's eating and help support detox uh, detoxification as well. Because the truth is like we are, inundated every single day. I mean, the amount of toxins that we live with today is just completely unprecedented for humans. Yeah. It's just, we just have never, ever, ever on any level had this much to deal with. And it's very, very hard on the body. And so we have to always prioritize food if we really want to grow a healthy family, I think. Yeah. I, I love thinking about food and relating to food and plants. And again, not to sound like a broken record, but maybe we're both broken records. You're the broken record of gaps. I'm the broken record of Ayurveda. <laughs> this relationship to food and plants and the elements. It's like, we are 
we are what we eat. Like these, this information is already present and available. And you're talking about bioavailability. It's just different language for the same teaching. What I put in my body is activating my wisdom, my body's innate wisdom for what needs to happen to survive, to thrive, to grow, to transmute, to release all those things. And it's like, I, I believe that miscarriage, not in every case, but miscarriage is in itself a normal, healthy biological process. There are pregnancies that are not viable and there are environmental implications to what is happening to women at a massive scale regarding fertility and our capacity to carry healthy pregnancies and have straightforward births even. So um, yeah, I hear you. I think this is essential information. It's so refreshing to talk to you about food. I'm so looking forward to learning from you and doing more with you down the line and witnessing you and holding you on your mothering journey. So exciting. Thank you. Um, you and your fiance, Alex, have the regenerative cooking school and you teach. And I would love for you to share with people how they can find you and how they can learn from you. Yes. So regenerativecookingschool.com is my website. And we have an Instagram regenerative cooking school as well. We lead quarterly cooking classes, which are called Cook to Heal. And that's a really foundational course on how to use regenerative agriculture in your kitchen and how to really master the rhythms of the kitchen and love what you do with food. And then I have another course, which is called Every Meal Healing, and that's an introduction to the GAPS protocol. And that is a three-month course, and it will launch again in September. And that's a deeper dive. You have a chance to work with me one-to-one and it's a really, really fun course. I love it. And I'm going to soon be opening a third monthly membership, which is called, or a third offering, which is mm -hmm. called Gut Instincts. And that's going to be a group call. Yeah, I'm super excited. A group call and a portal where there's recipes every month, meal plans. And we're going to talk, of course, about the GAPS diet, how to heal your gut, um, but also other things that comprise of being well and though there will be guest artists and teachers and it's going to be fun I'm excited so gut instincts look out for that and I post mostly about gaps on my handle wild nutritionist so you can find me there that's so great um Kate yes you're fabulous Thank and you. I'm so looking forward to our next conversation which I know there will be um, thank you again for your time and for sharing this incredible information with people. Thank you, Stacy. It was an honor and a privilege. I'm so happy to be here with in conversation with all the mothers. So thanks for listening. Thank you so much for joining us today. 
If you like this episode, please leave a comment, please share through all your channels, and you also have the opportunity to make a donation to ensure that these amazing conversations continue with ease. I appreciate you being here. I'm curious to hear how this conversation has impacted you, and I hope that you'll join us again.